message this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. It is entitled, Run to Win. So let me, let me pray here this morning before we get into our text. Father, I would pray that You would do Your work now in us. As this is a, a text which really can pierce hearts. And I know that, that O oh Lord, is my, my aim and goal this morning is to, to pierce the, the drifting heart. God, is to convict that soul that is, is going at it easy. And Lord, would pray that Your call for all of us is to, yes, trust in the Gospel of grace. Yes, glory in the fact that it's not by our works of righteousness which we do, which leads us to You. But, God, You, you call us to labor long and hard out of love to You. You promise in Hebrews that You will not forget um, our work and our love which we have shown towards the saints and having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. You see our, our efforts at pursuing You and, and loving others and would pray this message might be just a step to encourage us on to do that in a, in a greater way. So Father, we, we thank You for Your Word which guides us and directs us, gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God, may You... Equip us and train us in those things, even this morning, through my mouth, God, because apart from your Spirit coming, I would be just noise in the ears. God, but I pray that it would be more than just noise in the ears. Work your work in our hearts. God, I pray that you'd, you'd allow me to preach to myself this morning as well. Uh, I'm not, not above these things. I need this reminder too. And maybe that's what struck my heart so much, oh Lord. And I need this reminder to pursue and follow hard after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, um, the Brandon family had a big family gathering, which was grandma and grandpa and some family friends and aunt and uncle and then all of us five kids and then a bunch of their uh, grand, a bunch of the nieces and nephews, grandchildren to my my parents, and so we had probably strong about maybe 50 people or so at this uh, gathering. We had a swimming hole that we were swimming at, had a great time. And uh, while I was there, I was talking to my brother, and the topic of exercise came up, and I told him how I'm playing softball nowadays, and uh, he said, ah, softball, that's a, that's a dangerous sport. It's easy to get hurt in that sport. And he said, because you're going from standing still, right, to 100%, you know, right, when you're, whether you're outfield trying to chase a ball, whether you're running around, and and I agreed with him and I told him how much I've been really working hard at, at stretching. And he said, you know, Steve, three times I've, I've pulled my hamstring going around from second to third base. You just better be careful. Well, I totally agreed with him. And some of you are laughing because you know how the story is just going here. Uh, top of the seventh inning, I'm on first, game tied, right down crunch time. We need, uh, we need a run to win. If we lose, our season is over. And so the guy at the plate... Uh, I've, I, a guy from Grace Reformed Baptist Church, I think, hit, hit the ball right up the middle, and a center fielder came charging. So I'm running to second base, and I make it to second base somewhat easily, and then the ball goes through uh, past the second baseman and underneath the pitcher's legs. And so I'm thinking, I can make it for third. And so I start running to third, and, and the catcher kind of comes up. I thought it was going to be a close play, and this is like the end of our season. I'm going all out, and do we have a picture that we're going we're gonna to put up here? I pulled my hammy. 
SR was there. He was taking pictures. I mean, that it really is the moment, all right? And uh, that, and so I, I, I made it safe, by the way. I made it safe. And I heard time called, and I just walked off the base. I don't even remember after that, but Brian, I think you, you just said, okay, I'm, I'm, I said kind of, I'm done. I walked away. I don't even know. But you got there, and we scored. We scored maybe another run or two, and we won the game, and so we went on to play. But I spent the rest of the day on the bench as I, I cheered everybody on as we played three more games. And it was very frustrating because I couldn't play. But um, for the next week, this past week, I've been kind of limping around. If I pull, it's, it kind of hurts if I don't have it, but... Um, I just know that for the next uh, month or two, it's going to hurt a little bit, but I'm, I'm looking to get back into it. I told everybody, okay, by next season, I'll be 100%. Well, let me ask you, though. Here's the crucial question. You can put that picture down because it's not such a nice picture. Um, why did I pull my hamstring? Okay? Why did I pull my hamstring? First of all, I'm getting old. And the older you get, the, the more tight your muscles become. You've got to stretch them out. As my dad says, the older you get, Steve, the, the shorter the distance between being warmed up and warmed out becomes, is what he says. So I'm, I'm working on that. could be that my, I'm, I'm getting older. Secondly, maybe I didn't stretch as much as I have to stretch. I know that next summer we play uh, softball, I'm going to be stretching my hammies a lot more. Maybe I was dehydrated. That could have been part of it. I was pretty thirsty that night. But here's the major reason why I, 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 I ripped my hamstring is because I was running to win. I was going all out, full bore, right there into third base. I mean, if I don't get to third base, I'm out, they score, we go home, we're done. i got to get to third base. And so that's what I did, and I'm not as young as I used to be. But I was running to win. That's the title of my message. That's the crux of verses 24 through 27 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Well, my text has four verses this morning. I have four points this morning. First point is the title of my message, Run to Win. Run to Win. I trust you can see it right there in verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. I just say run to win. Now, Paul uses an analogy here. He's talking about the sports world, but what's true in the sports world, he doesn't use unrighteous illustrations. This is a righteous illustration. He says run to win. I encourage all of you in life, run to win. In other words, be the best that you can be. What gifts God has given you, use those gifts to the glory of God. For those involved in sports, I play the game to win. As Herm Edwards used to say, you play to win the game. That's what you do. For those of you students, study hard for A's. For those of you in the workforce, work hard to succeed. Work to meet your sales quota. Work your full hours. Earn your full salary. 
You stay-at-home moms. Work to your whole might what you can. That's what he says here. Run to win. Things entirely biblical concept. In fact, even in the same context, look over chapter 10, verse 31. After talking about eating and drinking things sacrificed to idols, he says, what then? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, right there, whatever you do, responds to everything. Work, students, sports, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And God is glorified when we use our gifts to the greatest of our ability. Even something as mundane, here in verse 31, is eating or drinking. You can eat or drink to the glory of God. This type of understanding, this thought is the seed of the Protestant work ethic. Believers in Jesus Christ should work hard. As Richard Steele, the Puritan, said long ago, He that lent you talents also said, Occupy till I come. How is it you stand all day idle? Your trade is your proper providence. In other words, what God has given you to do to earn your money, that is your providence of what God has for your life. And so do it. With all your might. When talking about to slaves about work habits, Paul writes this, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. In other words, when you work, your boss is there, yes, but behind your boss and beyond your boss. And I'm not care if it's a righteous boss or an unrighteous boss. Behind your boss is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you're serving. And so if your boss tells you something to do, you should consider that something. If it's righteous and if it's not contradicting God's hand, that is a message from Jesus for you to do. And I just say this, when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, you will labor strong and hard with all your might. Now, Let me caveat this with the gospel, right? It's not that that it's all effort from our standpoint. It's God who gives you the strength to fulfill your task. Isaiah 40, right? Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. How is it that we can labor long and hard? Because God is the one fueling us with strength. Paul was fully aware of this. When it came to his own life and ministry, consider well just Paul's labor, but God's work in Paul's life. 1 Corinthians 15.10 By the grace of God, I am what I am. So It's all grace. And God's grace towards me did not prove in vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Right? In other words, God gave me grace. It wasn't in vain because I worked hard. God's grace was given to me that I might work hard. And it's by God's grace that I am what I am. And it was God's grace that was working in there. He worked... And yet God is the one who ultimately was giving him the strength. And so, church family, I just encourage you to, to run to win. Now, I'm not saying you should win at all costs. I'd advocate playing by the rules. I'd advocate working with integrity in the workplace and all you do. And that's really what the second verse 25 is talking about, about playing by the rules. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, right? It's playing by the rules that he might win. It's the self-control within the the scope of what is right and wrong. He says, then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Here's my second point. Seek the prize. Seek the prize. In the days when Paul wrote this, certainly he was thinking of the Isthmian Games, which is Corinth was right on the Isthmus. Right, you know what that is, right? It's bodies of water on both sides, a, a, a tiny channel through there. They would have the Isthmian Games there every other year. Paul was in Corinth for 18 months which he may have been there during the games or not. Perhaps he was. 
If not, he was very familiar with these games because people travel from all over to play the games. It's, it's very parallel with our modern day Olympics. And Paul is referring here to the prize that they would win. He calls it there in verse 25, a perishable wreath. I think the best picture that I have of this is what took place when the Olympics were 2004 in Greece. And I got another picture here, right? You guys remember this? Maybe, maybe your kids are too young to remember this. 2004. When were you born, Nathan? 2000. So you're four years old. You didn't remember this much. Okay. I, us adults, we remember this, right? They put those garlands on their head. I would never wear one of those things, but everybody else was, and I guess standing on the platform. This, by the way, is the women's soccer team who won the gold that year. Uh, I don't know who those ladies are. Mia Hamm is right in the middle, I think. Whatever she's doing, wear number one. But there's the wreath that they would go for. And we can take that picture off. In our, our day and age, they joined it up with medals. Gold, silver, bronze. I like the medal a lot more than I like the wreath. But either of those, whether it is the medal or the wreath, they only get if they play by the rules. And in our day and age, we know what not playing by the rules is like. Steroid scandals in baseball. Cycling. Olympic athletes, the number of those who have been caught steroids, performance-enhancing drugs are, are far more, but that's not exercising self-control. This is with integrity. You need to seek the prize with integrity. And I hope you see here in verse 25 that we see a turn. Paul goes from the illustration to the reality. He says, that second sentence, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable Right? In other words, he's making this transition from races run at the Isthmian Games or the Olympics. They're pursuing these wreaths and these medals. But we're in another race and we're pursuing something which is imperishable. Won't fade away. I know those wreaths will fade away within a week or two. And those medals will fade away. When we die... It's not going to be of much use to us. But Paul is really talking about the spiritual analogy he's talked about since verse 24. This running in such a way that you may win. Yes, he's talking about running, but he's talking there, he's talking about even running our spiritual life. Now, this metaphor is all over the Bible. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our confession, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him, sat down, endured the cross, despising His shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are in this race, the race of our life, and and, and God calls us to lay aside those things which encumber us, the warm-up suits, Right? The, the gloves, the hats, put it all down. And I don't care how cold it out, out it is. It's the, the runner of the marathons. They're all in these skimpy shirts and shorts. You don't see them running in boots. Right? They're, in, they're nice shoes and they're, they're running out light shoes and they're running with endurance the race that's set before us. This is the, the life race that all of us are in. Paul's looking to finish well when he spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts 24, 20, 24. He says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly about the gospel, the grace of God. It's talking about a running. I've got this course I've got to run, and I need to run this course till it all finishes. 
to this race that God has given me. He's given every single one of you a race to run as well. Now, your races are different. But they're a race. And your race is not a race for speed. It's a race for finishing and finishing well. And Paul saw his life just desiring that he might finish his course faithful to Christ, walking in his ways, trusting the Lord. It's he who endures until the end who will be saved, Jesus said. And we've run the race. There's a prize at the end. Philippians 3. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a prize. There's a reward. Reward eternal life. Reward of treasures in heaven. So we can store up treasures here on earth. There are treasures in heaven that we may receive. In the end of Paul's life, it's good news. He finished and he finished well. He said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. And then he said, I'm expecting the reward. First, 2 Timothy 4, 8, In the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who has loved his appearing. He speaks of this crown of righteousness that he will receive. This, this crown that is, is far better than any medal or ribbon that you might receive. It is the ultimate prize. It is righteousness. It is the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is not just for Paul. But Paul says it's not only to me, but it's to all who have loved His appearing. And I guarantee you, in the ages to come, this is the only prize that will matter in your lives. A hundred years from now, all of your ribbons, trophies, prize money, even your bank account will seem as nothing and meaningless compared with this crown of righteousness that would be rewarded to you if you've trusted in Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's this crown, this, this righteousness when you're fully clothed in the righteousness of Christ? I mean, what is it that drives the Olympic athlete to sacrifice so much for four years of their lives, right? You, you've seen those documentaries when we're talking, as long as we're talking Olympic theme, right? The, the up close and personal testimonies of someone who left their family to go train in the gymnastics facility in Colorado, say. And it's been gone and how hard it is, but make that ultimate sacrifice because there's a gift there and there's a possibility of the medal. What is it that, that compels that athlete to, to get up in the morning and to train and to work hard. What gives them the drive? Is it not the achievement or the recognition of the possibility of the gold? Listen, right, we're all in a race. And we need to see this prize at the end to motivate us to keep going. Now, your race all began when you are conceived in your mother's womb. And it all will end when you breathe your last breath and enter into eternity. And all that will matter on that day is how did you run your race? How'd you run it? You know, Jesus told the story about the rich man, the poor man. The rich man was nameless. The poor man was named Lazarus. He described their lives. The rich man lived in luxury, seeking after his own pleasure. The poor man lived in a life of hunger and deprivation. And Jesus described their lives after the grave. The rich man was in torment, but Lazarus found relief in Abraham's bosom. And at that moment, all that mattered to the rich man was any relief from the suffering that he could get. No matter how small, even a dip of finger in the water on the tongue, that would be better than what he's experiencing now. His former riches weren't on his mind. His former pleasures weren't on his mind. 
His awards weren't on his mind. They were irrelevant, except that that's what caused them and brought them there because he lived for this world. The opposite was true for the poor man. He was enjoying the comforts of his eternal life in Abraham's bosom. The, the suffering and agony of his life was all gone. And you say, okay, so what, what causes this division? After life, what causes that division? Well, you piece together the Bible and when Jesus came to earth, He says, right, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the Gospel. It's repentance, turning from your sins, and it's trusting Christ and His work done on the cross for our sins. Paul said, if you confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a confession with your mouth, a belief in your heart, and a belief in the heart will work itself out, I would contend, in a properly run race. It's the way to get to the prize. is through Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross for your sins. And I just tell you, you will reach the end of your race quicker than you imagine. My oldest son, SR, left for college yesterday. And he's not here this morning. In fact, I... Took a picture of this and going to send it to him today and say, You were missed. He normally plays the drums for us so well. He's in Los Angeles. Savannah's is there to drop him off. And in fact, the church service there started half an hour ago. And uh, I, I gave a note to Yvonne, to SR, that I wanted him to read on the plane. Whenever we have plane trips, we always have airplane gifts. And so I said, Okay, here's an airplane note. Give it to SR. And uh, I just, in that note, explained to him my, my love for him, my heart to pray for him. Um, and I, I sought to give him just fatherly counsel just as he goes, that he might know these things are on, on my heart. And I, I remember one of the things I wrote was this. It says, SR, I can't believe how quickly your 18 and a half years of living with us has passed by. I remember the day he was born. It's like 18 and a half years ago, 20 years ago, just boom, it's gone. And for all of you, parents with your small kids, they're going to be in college before you know it. Some are close. Some are farther away. But they will be there. And that The end of your race is coming soon. Sooner than you think. Maybe this week. Maybe next month. We don't know what a year will bring. That's why 26 is very important, right? Verse 24, run to win. 25, seek the prize. 26, know your game. 20, know your game. Therefore, he says this, since I've got this imperishable thing that I'm, I'm rooting for, I'm going for, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. That's kind of strange. What, 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 what's he talking about? He, he's, he's talking about when he runs, he runs straight as course. Right? He, there's the finish line there, and if that's where the finish line is, he's going straight for it. He's not, he's not bending around this way. You know, he's not going to take the roundabout route just to be fun. He's not running in the outside lane. Okay? He's running the inside lane as short and as fast as possible. <clears throat> he's going to work on his running motion, right? Not a lot of excess motion. But to get there as fast as he can, we need a boxer. He's, he's boxing so that every moment counts. So no wasteless energy is gone by a, by a whiff of the air. No, he wants to make sure he lands every single punch. He's just looking to know his game. As many of you know, Hannah is into volleyball. <clears throat> Volleyball's her game. And I think many of you parents, children, you can think about there are other things that are your game. So Stephanie, like theater, is her game. SR, art, is his game. David's jury is out on jury, but I know that a lot of you kids, right? You've got your game. So just think about that. But in light of, of Hannah's game, she's pursuing whatever she can to be a good volleyball player. 
Um, now, coming from short parents, <laughs> she um, has no aspirations. She has realistic aspirations that she's not going to be a middle hitter on a D1 volleyball team in college, okay? She's a little bit like my cousin who uh, played football. He was in eighth grade, and um, he was going to play football as a ninth grader, but he said, my mom won't let me. And so I was digging in. Well, what do you mean your mom won't let me? Well, see, she's only 4'11", and I can't play freshman football because I'm not big enough. I get crunched by those guys. So mom and dad won't let her play middle hitter for a Division One team. But she has a good goal to play for the Masters College, right where SR is right now. It's kind of up a little bit. It's a good challenge. That's what she wants to do. And so we as parents have done everything. She's got interest in this, and I just encourage you parents, just fan the flame what you can Financially what you can, reasonably time-wise what you can, and so we've let her develop her skills. She's played in a club team last couple summers. She's attended a volleyball camp at NIU this past summer. She's uh, watched some games. She's gone to some NIU games, and this summer we're planning, this fall, we're planning to attend some games so that she can see what volleyball's like at the upper level. This past week, we printed out volleyball schedules and other universities she'd like to go to, Rock Valley College. She knows some people there, Northern Illinois University, even Madison. University of Wisconsin, and we looked to say, okay, where's your games? Where can it, you know, where can it match? What, what can happen? And we're both excited for September 24th because September 24th, Penn State, being in the Big Ten, comes to play University of Wisconsin in Madison. Now, Penn State, you guys don't know this, but Penn State is like, like the UCLA and John Wooden's days. Remember John Wooden? He won 10 national championships in a span of maybe about 12, 13 years. He, Penn State's won the five national championships in the last seven years. And last year, they lost. Do you know who they lost to last year in the championship game? Annie, do you know who they lost to in the championship game? You don't know? They lost to the University of Wisconsin in the championship game, championship match. So September 24th, we're like going to go see Super Bowl rematch. I mean, this is like, it's what, we get to see the big girls play. All to show Hannah how to learn. Because she wants to, to learn her game. She wants to know her game. And that's what we're, we're trying to do. And if you're a good athlete, you're going to know about your sport. Or, or, or piano's your thing, right? Parents, take your children to symphonies, right? Let them read about composers. Let them do that. If you want to be good, skier. And if you have the resources, go out to Colorado. Take trips to Utah, right? Get a, a year-long pass to a local ski resort, if you even call it ski resorts and compared to Colorado. But do that. If you want to be a doctor, a kids, just learn about biology. Immerse yourself in biology, right? Just do, do what you can. If you want to do film like SR did, just buy a camera, get a camera, start doing stuff with whatever you have. Same kind of thing. You need to know your game. When it comes to Christian life, it is the same point. That's what he's talking about here in 23. Therefore, he says, I run in such a way it's not without aim. I box in such a way it's not being here. Again, he's still talking about his Christian life. He's saying, I'm not wasting movements. I'm not wasting energy. I know what it takes to live the Christian life and I am pursuing after it. And you know what? God has given us a manual to know everything there is to know about running the Christian life. It's called our Bibles. So just as you have interests and you might pursue your interests, whether that's on the internet, whether it's in books, whether it's going seeing people, it's learning, whether it's getting a tutor, God has given it all to us right here in terms of running the race. It's right here in our, our Bibles. The, the Bible teaches us about the way to win the race. It teaches us how to win the race. The reasons why to run the race. 
I mean, the Bible tells the whole story of history, of history. God created a perfect world, but Adam and Eve sinned and, and cast the world into sin. We're under the wrath of God, separated from Him. But God loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross in our place to take the wrath that we deserve. So now, by faith in Him, our sin can be forgiven. And so we can be right again with God. And those who trust and love in Jesus Christ will spend eternity with Him. But those who have refused His grace will spend eternity apart from Him, like where the rich man was in everlasting torment. And so here's my question. Do you know the game? This is the game of life. The game of life isn't to go to college or or get a trade and then to earn enough money so you can get married and then have kids and then have a mansion and then, like, you know, that's the game of life. Yes, that's the game, but the ultimate game of life, though, is to be at one with God our Father, our Creator. And the Bible tells us, do you know the game of life? Do you know Jesus Christ? And here's my question. Just as Hannah would pursue volleyball, are you pursuing Him? Are you pursuing the Bible? Are, are you pursuing God? Are you desirous to learn more? Do you, want to, do you want to know more? And are you reading the instruction manual? Do you remember Paul's great statement in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him? That's the heart of a man who wants to know his game. This wasn't before he was saved. It wasn't saying, oh, I don't know him. I, need, I want to know him. Oh, now I know him. That's good. No, this was long after he was saved. This was after several missionary journeys. This was after several books of the Bible he wrote. This was after his zeal for following Christ landed him in a, a Roman prison cell. And it's then that he said, I want to know Christ deeper. There's the idea of Paul saying, I want to know it better. I don't want to waste my punches. I don't want to run with, I don't want to get off track. I want to stay on the track. And what's the track? The track is knowing Jesus. Listen, Paul forgot more than any of us will ever know. And that didn't prevent him from pursuing a knowledge of Christ. And so I say this, I look out among the congregation. Most of us, would profess faith in Christ. Most of us would. That's why, that's why you come each Sunday. That's why you're involved in church. And that's wonderful. You'd be commended in that. But I just say this. Are you pursuing Jesus? Are you going after Him? Is your life about knowing God? Are you consumed so much with running this Christian life that it, it consumes all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? Sadly, as I told the youth yesterday, there are some of you I know who are not doing this. I mean, Christianity has been great. You like, like the church. But in terms of really pursuing God, that's like, that's like not a part of your life. Your Bible's dusty. Your prayer is non-existent. Your passions for God are small. Your true passions, truth be known, are elsewhere rather than with God. I just say, you may be in a very dangerous situation. Right? And only know, you know whether that's true of your heart or not. See, when, when Christ calls us to come to Him, He calls us to forsake everything and follow Him. This idea is about knowing your game, right? Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow Me. That's why when half-hearted followers wanted to come and follow Jesus, that's why he, he turned many away. He demanded so much of the rich young ruler. He wasn't willing to forsake all to come to Christ. That's why when the the man said, I'll follow you wherever I go, he says, well, let's just think about where I go. Foxes have holes and birds in the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you ready to follow me there? 
One says, well, let me bury my father first. He says, no, let the dead bury the dead. Come now. Jesus even said that no one, after putting his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. He said we need to pursue Him. We need to be with Him, passionately pursuing Him. When Jesus described the Christian life, He describes a difficult journey in which few really find a life, right? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right? Just a, It's easier for a camel to go through that than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard. You enter by the, the narrow gate, He says, which is small and constricted and few there be that find it. If you come after Christ, you need to hate your father and mother, brother, wife, mother, children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life, you've got to hate it to be His disciple. You, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. No one of you can be My disciple does not give up all his own possessions. When, when Paul was saved, Ananias came and told him how much he would suffer for Jesus' name. See, it's appointed to believers not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for His sake. Philippians 1.29, look it up. And, and, and listen, the thing that's going to help carry you through all those things is a pursuit of God through His Word and through prayer. And, and there are many who walk through life just playing church. Sunday morning's one thing, real life is another. But it's, it's the real life that's going to, it's going to help, not just your two hours here at church on Sunday morning. See, there are only few that find the narrow gate. And so I just ask you, do you know your game? Are you pursuing your game? Or are you fruitlessly punching the air? Let's look at my last point here this morning. We need to run to win. Verse 24. We need to seek the prize. Verse 25. You need to know your game. Verse 26 and 27. Here it is. You need to discipline yourself. But I... Discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now Paul is saying here is that yeah, I'm just not beating the air, but I'm, I'm pressing my body to be trained and to go in the, the right way. It's Paul's testimony regarding his life. And I think it comes to us. He, he would say, listen, I'm disciplining my body. I'm buffeting my body, so I'm getting strong. And you ought to likewise do the same thing. Now, when it came to personal discipline, he's willing to subject his body to the, the rigors of righteousness and the rigors of love. Now, Paul said these things deep in the heart of a section in 1 Corinthians verses eight, chapters 8 through 10, which is all dealing about idolatry and how to deal with food sacrifice to idols. That's why he says in chapter 10 about eating and drinking. It's about what it, how, do you, how you eat and drink food that was sacrificed to idols. He talks about this in chapter 8 as well. Is that If food's been sacrificed to an idol, we, we know that an idol's nothing. And we know that food, it's okay, you can eat that food. But there are some people who said, oh, why are you eating that food? It was sacrificed to idols. And so he's just kind of trying to put these things together. What is the best, wisest way how to walk using Christian liberty? And then chapter 9 is all about Christian liberty. He says, don't I have a, a right to take a wife? I can have a wife. Don't, don't I have a right to take money or receive money from those who I'm ministering to? Yes, he says, you know, not muzzle an ox while he's threshing. He's not concerned about the oxen, chapter 9, verse 9. In other words, it's, it's that, yes, God is caring for his people and the laborer is worthy of his wages. You certainly can take that. But Paul says, you know what, for the sake of others, boy, if it causes me to, them to stumble, I'm not going to eat and drink that stuff. I'll just, I'm okay with anything else. And he says, you know what, I've chosen not 
and take a wife. I've chosen not to collect any money so that the gospel might be free. He's talking about freedoms he has in Christ and how he himself is intentionally going a difficult, more strict way in his body and in his life for the sake of love towards other people. You might summarize it, chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful. Now, that doesn't mean everything is lawful. There are certainly unlawful things, right? You just go through the Ten Commandments, right? Taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, having other gods, pursuing idolatry, right? Forsaking your marriage, killing you, all that. But he's just saying in terms of all these lawful, these things are lawful, but there's some things which are not profitable. And Paul says this. He said, I'm just disciplining my body to do the profitable things. Those things I could do, yes, but I'm going to discipline myself to do the profitable things. In verse 27, I discipline my body and make it my slave to do the profitable things that he's talking about so that after I preach to others, I myself might not be disqualified. He's talking about being a preacher and being a hypocrite, basically. And maybe that has connotations about being disqualified before the throne of God as well. So the exhortation comes to us. Uh, evaluate your life. What's helpful? What's profitable? What's loving? And pursue that in discipline. <clears throat> discipline yourself, verse 27, to do the right thing. In other words, right? Teach your body that you won't obey every single one of your body's desires. If you know you shouldn't be eating your ice cream... Your body says, oh, I really want that ice cream. Say to your body, no, I'm not going to have that ice cream. And your body might, might want to have that ice cream. You say, no, I can't have that ice cream. And teach your body who's in control. He's buffeting his body. That's, that's what he's trying to do. Well, on our summer vacation this past summer, Yvonne and I read a, a fascinating book out loud together um, called Called Again. <clears throat> Jennifer Farr Davis. We've probably talked to quite a few of you about this book or this gal. This, this gal is an amazing gal. And uh, Jennifer Farr Davis is the record holder for traveling the Appalachian Trail faster than anybody else ever, man or woman. She holds the record. She traveled it 2011, the 2,000 miles in 46 days, 11 hours, 20 minutes, averaging about 47 miles a day for 46 days. That's a lot of mileage. And uh, she's an incredible athlete. Um, six feet tall, lean, thin, and she can, she can walk. Uh, Michael Phelps was built to swim. Um, she was built to hike, is really what it, what it is. And, and the book tells how she did it, how her husband Bruce supported her all the way through the walk. He'd go ahead of her, meet her at various crossroads of this trail, um, and give her the food and the water and whatever else she needed just for that next hike until he could meet her along the way because she wanted to travel as light as she could so as to set this record. And when it was time to go into camp, he, he went ahead, set up the camp, set up the tent, prepared the meal so that she could, she could real, literally come in, sit down, eat, go to bed, go to sleep so she'd get up the next morning and get out and walk again. Her daily regimen was that uh, 4.45 in the morning when, it, when her alarm was set, 15 minutes later, by 5 o'clock in the morning, she was on the trail walking. And she had a headlight there in the early parts of the day so she could see what's going on. And then she'd come back about 10 o'clock uh, at night sometimes by the time she finally got to bed. Six or seven hours of sleep for 46 days. And by the way, husbands, if you want to have an example of what it means to love your wife in a sacrificial way, Brew Davis did that as he gave himself to her just to serve her, to help her do her thing. And 
her record is every bit his record because of the support that that he gave. But here's the thing. She ran hardly any of that course. She just plodded through walking. And she said in her book, three miles an hour is all she walked. She said anyone can walk three miles an hour. But she walked three miles an hour through pain in her legs, through rain, through cold, through heat. She just kept plodding along. I just think about it. She buffeted her body. There were times she talked about, I don't want to get up, but i got to get up. And she got up and she forced her body to do this. Right? The days when her pain in her legs, particularly in the northern part of the Appalachian Trail, it's really hard granite. She was hiking on. She got shin splints, something bad. It wasn't until almost halfway through the course that she was really... Uh, feeling good with her shins and stuff, but she kept her to to keep going. And I just say this, the Christian life is like this. It's not a sprint. Hebrews 12, let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. Or let's get a little walk with endurance. It's a, it's a long journey on a difficult road that takes a bit of discipline to run and follow through. But that's what we're called to. This long hike. And the good news is we don't need to do it alone because the Lord is there to support our ways. He knows fully our weaknesses. A few weeks ago, Psalm 103, verse 14, we saw that He knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. God knows our weaknesses. He knows our temptations. He knows our failings. And when we fail, He simply wants us to get up, confess our sin, and seek His help, and walk as He strengthens us along the way. That's what we're called to do in our, in our race. Now, it, what's interesting, while we're in California, we read this book basically on the way out on the, the car ride. And uh, when we're in California, Yvonne was searching about this woman, Jennifer Farr Davis, and found out that she's going to be speaking in Council Bluffs, Iowa, on her way home. And, and in fact, we're going to pass right through Council Bluffs like three or four hours before she would speak. And so we got there, actually, and kind of waited around, had to grab some, grab some food, went to a picnic, and then, then we went to hear her at the local library. Here we read all about her, and so she gave a talk. And at the end of her talk, one of the questions I asked her was if anyone else had tried to attempt her record. She said, actually this brew, her husband said, there's an attempt underway right now. And this was <clears throat> whatever. Uh, in fact, it was going to be. It was whatever. It's uh, two weeks ago, three three weeks ago maybe, and it was just about to start, or it did start. And a man named Carl Meltzer is right now. He is in the Appalachian Trail right now, hiking through the woods. I don't know where exactly he is right now on the internet. You can kind of find out approximately where he is. He's about halfway through the trail. He's right on pace with Jennifer. I think he's eight miles ahead of her tr- pace as of about a week ago. Eight miles ahead of her pace. That's three. That's like three hours ahead of her pace. And Carl Meltzer, I don't know, Tim Iverson, do you know him? He like wins, all, he holds the record for winning the most 100-mile runs kind of stuff. This guy just is, a, is like a deer. And uh, he tried to set the record in 2008, same way supported. It took him 54 days, top-level tier athlete. And here's what he said. He said, back then, I, I, we ran a little bit more than we probably should have. It just felt good. This time, I'll probably walk a lot more. This was an interview right before. I, I ran that. I'm going to walk, walk a lot more because that's what Jennifer did. In 2008, my best day was Virginia. I ran 60 miles that day. <laughs> it's just 60 miles that day after every day running. He said, I could have kept going. I, it wasn't even dark yet. I felt great. But I only went nine miles the next day because I totally broke down. 
I did this nine mile section, got in the RV and said, I am done. So I was just kind of mad and angry, but I mentally broke down the next week or, or the next four or five days, something like nine miles, 19 miles, 29 miles. In other words, he was going really swift, but faced his roadblocks because he was going too fast, too far, rather than just kind of slowly plodding along. I just encourage all of us. God doesn't, doesn't expect this great, big, huge discipline. He just expects us just daily to come to him, daily to be in his word, daily to pray, and just taking your steps in three miles an hour is just fine for him, this race we need to run. Because, see, the race doesn't go to the swift, it goes to the one who plods along. So you've heard before the tortoise and the hare, the hare was boasting of his speed before the other animals. I've never yet been beaten. And when I put forth my full speed, I challenge anyone here to race with me. And the tortoise quietly said, I accept your challenge. <laughs> That's a good joke to the hare. I could dance around you all the way. He said, well, keep your boasting until you've won, answered the tortoise. Shall we race? So the course was fixed. The start was made. The hare darted almost out of sight at once, but soon stopped and to show his contempt for the tortoise, lay down to have a nap. The tortoise plodded on and plodded on. And when the hare awoke from his nap, he saw the tortoise just near the winning post and could not run in time to save the race. And the tortoise said, slow but steady progress wins the race. See, it's not going to be just grand effort to what you're going to do to run the, the Christian life. God just calls us to, to run in a steady, plodding along, disciplined way. I think that's the point of verse 27. Disciplining yourself, making a slave, so I might continue on not be a hypocrite. And I, and I, just, I just say this, day after day, month after month, year after year, are you running to win? I just say, do it in such a way, church family, that we run to win and we all cross that line together, can meet up in heaven someday and rejoice in how we just plotted along and made it there. So let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray you would grant us the grace as you granted Paul, the grace to, um, to labor far more than all the other apostles, more than Peter, more than James, more than John and Andrew and Bartholomew. He labored longer, stronger, harder than all of them, but he knew full well it was not him. It was the grace of God within him. And so, Lord, I would pray also that in our labor and our striving, may we strive according to the power which mightily works within us. Father, may you, by your grace, grant us the strength that we need to continue our course. God, may you grant us the grace to, to finish well to endure until the end. And Lord, I would pray especially for those here who are, are like the hare. Great flashes at times, and yet, truth be known, are, are napping. I pray You'd convict the souls of those people, God, that they'd realize that they need every day to be with You, to be in Your Word, God, to love You and serve You. God, not to merit anything, God, but just to continue on that plod plodding down the, the path of life. And so, Lord, I pray this is my, my big job in many ways is to prepare us all for that day when we'd stand before you. So I, I pray, Lord, that by your grace you'd help prepare us for that day. God, give us a zeal and a passion to know you and to make you known. We just need your help, O oh God, in these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.